All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. Check it out, you guys. On the line, I've got Judge Andrew Napolitano. And of course, you know him from his long career at Fox News. He's the author of Theodore and Woodrow, Lies the Government Told You, Constitutional Chaos, A Nation of Sheep, The Constitution in Exile, and more like that. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Judge? Oh, I'm fine. It's a pleasure to be with you, my dear friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to talk to you again. And um, I, I am so happy to see you again sticking up for Edward Snowden, the great American hero who has been so unfairly maligned as some kind of Russian spy and all of these things. And so I was wondering if you could do us a favor and speak in your authoritative way such as you do, about the real truth of uh, who Edward Snowden is and what he did and, uh, and what's not so true about what they say about him, as I know you like to do. Well, thank you, Scott. Uh, one of the reasons we're talking about Edward Snowden is because uh, four days ago, he became a Russian citizen, retaining his American citizenship. Uh, of course, it was in 2013 during the Obama administration uh, when he revealed the most massive uh, assailants, undifferentiated and not based on any kind of a search warrant uh, in the history of the country. So a little bit of background. Uh, when Richard Nixon used the FBI and the CIA to spy on uh, anti-war activists, domestic anti-war activists, Congress enacted the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which set up the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, a blatantly and profoundly unconstitutional uh, secret court. It meets in secret. Only the government's lawyers uh, are there. Its uh, records and files and opinions are kept secret, even from other uh, federal judges. And it basically authorizes surveillance when the FBI and the NSA seeks it based on a standard far lesser than what the Fourth Amendment requires. The Fourth Amendment requires for all searches and seizures, you have to have probable cause of crime. You have to go before an Article Three judge, that's a life-tenured judge, appointed by the President, confirmed by the Senate, or the comparable uh, judicial officer in the state system. And, they, and the warrant must specifically describe the place to be searched or the person or thing to be seized. I'm now quoting from the Fourth Amendment. The FISA Act, permits judges of the FISA court to issue surveillance warrants, and surveillance is a search under our system, for far lesser evidence than probable cause of crime. It's probable cause of speaking to a foreign person. So if you talk to your cousin or your friend in Toronto or your bookseller in, in London, the uh, FBI and the CIA and the NSA can get a FISA warrant to surveil your 
conversations, not just with your cousin and your bookseller, but all your conversations and all of their conversations and the conversations of everybody they speak to out to the sixth degree, uh, which, of course, multiplies this uh, and increases the number radically. And okay, just to we clarify, know that's sir, you're talking about under the actual FISA law that was this structure before they Correct. went further. Gotcha. Correct. Under the FISA law, that's what they did. Mm -hmm. We know what the law is. The statute is public. So we know about this crazy cockamamie standard that uh, Congress made up and that the courts follow. What the court did on its own was extend it to the sixth degree. The original statute said talking to a foreign agent, the court extended that to talking to a foreign person, mm. which, of course, radically expanded the scope of these FISA court warrants. We all knew about that. What we didn't know about and what uh, Snowden, in, in an act of monumental courage and patriotism, told us was that the FBI and the NSA going to the FISA court is a cover for them, that in reality, they already, I'm holding up my mobile phone, they already download every keystroke on every mobile phone and every desktop. They capture every piece of fiber optic data transmitted into the United States, out of the United States or within the United States. And they do that undifferentiated, meaning they don't target anybody. They just do it to everybody. They already have that. So why do they go to the FISA court? They pretend that that's all they do. They pretend they're following the FISA court. So this um, uh, surveillance, which began in the Bush administration right after 9-11, uh, was uncovered on a small scale by the New York Times which resulted in the Bush administration pushing through Congress legislation that immunized the uh, internet service providers and the telecoms from any liability for cooperating with the government. In return for that immunity, which of course they all accepted, they were compelled to allow the government to plug into their mainframes. So Scott, if you found yourself in the AT&T building in San Francisco and you managed to get through security, and you manage to get up the elevator, and you manage to get on the right floor, and then through another two levels of security, and you open the right door, you would be in the NSA room. The NSA is physically located there and physically, literally plugs into AT&T mainframe. Now, I'm just picking on AT&T. This is the same for Verizon and Apple and Google and every internet, every major, there are smaller ones that don't do this, every major internet and telecom service provider. The information that the government gathers, if printed on paper, would consume 27 times the storage capacity of the Library of Congress every year. So when Snowden revealed this, he revealed it in Hong Kong. He uh, left the United States. He brought a lot of materials with him to demonstrate his bona fides to Glenn Greenwald and Laura uh, Poitras and two or three other reporters from The Guardian. As soon as they arrived at his hotel room in Hong Kong, he said, let me have your mobile phones. What are you gonna do with them? I'm gonna put them in the refrigerator of his hotel room because as an NSA agent, he knew that's the only place where the NSA surveillance won't work. It can't get through the wall, so a standard refrigerator. Otherwise, the NSA would have known it, would have seen 
five or six uh, mobile phones within two or three feet of each other, one of which was his, and it would have known who he was talking to and that he was talking to them. Uh, they were on his trail in Hong Kong. He fled to Moscow. He attempted to leave the Moscow airport to fly to Latin America when the American State Department to an American citizen who hadn't been charged with any crime and was innocent until proven guilty had his passport revoked. Whereupon he said to the press who knew where he was and who he was at that point, I would rather be stateless than voiceless. Now, 11 years later, he is a dual citizen of the United States uh, and of Russia. In 2017, the Trump DOJ secured an indictment uh, for espionage. Uh, interestingly, the same espionage statutes that the Biden DOJ is contemplating charging Trump with for obviously different behavior. Trump called for um, uh, Edward Snowden's execution, the same time he called for the execution of Julian Assange. Julian Assange, of course, is another wait, hero. Wait, wait, hold that thought, because I'm going to ask you all about him in a minute, too. But okay. so go ahead. Okay, uh, one, let me just finish the story about uh, Trump and Snowden. Trump, after four years in the White House, changed his mind and contemplated pardoning Snowden. I know this personally because he asked me if I thought he should pardon him. I made about a 15-minute pitch on the phone for the president. He was obviously still the president then to pardon Assange and Snowden. Heroic. Of course, his conversations from the White House are listened to by about 15 people, at least four or five of whom are in the intelligence community. They rushed to the Oval Office and, and disagreed with me, and he eventually listened to them. And of course, Snowden was never uh, pardoned. So this is the greatest act of unconstitutional and criminal behavior perpetrated in secret by the American government on the American people in post-Civil War America. It's probably the greatest act ever. It's unconstitutional uh, because it is a blatant violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's criminal because it's computer hacking. Computer hacking is breaking into somebody else's computer without a search warrant. It doesn't matter that you work for the NSA and the president told you, go ahead, it's okay, do it. And by the way, this went on even under Trump. I don't think Trump fully understood the nature and extent of the intelligence community at which he was always uh, at with which he was always at odds, right. uh, because he could have stopped this with a phone call and didn't. But he obviously had a different feeling about this after he was personally victimized by this, and then decided, rather than asking his DOJ to get the indictment dismissed, he would consider a pardon, which he never issued. Yeah, uh, such a hell of a story. And now, so a few things to review there. Um, I want to go back and talk about some of the, you know, some more details about what was revealed in the FISA statute and things like this. But really importantly there, you know, you mentioned Hong Kong, which is pretty much a Chinese city. It's under the Communist Party's control and all of that. It's got its special status, but not that special. And of course, it has a big red flag and is, uh, you know, held in a very suspicious context by pretty much the entire American right, that's for sure. And then he ends up, as you say, in Russia. So I just wanted to home in on a couple of details there about that, which was, um, first of all, what he had said about Hong Kong was he went there because they had celebrated protections of freedom of speech. He thought he'd be hosted there. And then he ended up finding out that, yeah, he wasn't so welcome and he better get out. 
And that was where he had met. He, he learned that there was a CIA station literally up the block from the five-star hotel where he was staying. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, he should have figured that out in the first place. Um, but then there's no evidence that, and I've, you know, really studied this from the Hawks point of view too, and everything as much as I can. Edward J. Epstein in the wall street journal is, I believe the leading offender on this story of claiming that Edward Snowden is a traitor. And he just has nothing that, actually indicates that Snowden had given this intelligence to the Chinese government in any way. He was simply in Hong Kong, period. That's it. No different than I'm in Texas right now. It doesn't mean I'm a conspirator with Greg Abbott on anything, you know? Um, and so then the next thing was the point that you made that is, I think, just absolutely essential that people understand that it was Barack Obama and Joe Biden and John Kerry Wait, 2013. Yeah, John Kerry, who stripped Edward Snowden of his passport while he was on a layover in Russia. So you got to think yes. about the decision that they made to do that. That on one hand, geez, this guy could brief the Russians on everything he knows if we leave him stuck there, right? And then they decided, Judge, to do it anyway, obviously just for public relations purposes. Because they figured, well, the and, damage and is done to, with the leak. We'll just make him look right. bad by smearing him right. with Russia. They also, I suppose, they also did it to to inconvenience him. Uh, but their thinking was was stupid, as you point out, and and absolutely incorrect and and unjustified. You know, the uh, passport. Uh, you you enjoy a passport, even if you're indicted. You enjoy your passport. He hadn't been charged uh, with anything. So in, in my article, um, An American in Moscow, I point out that Edward Which we Snowden ran at antiwar.com. Oh, thank you, uh -huh. my dear friend. Um, he took two oaths, uh, one of which was to keep secret whatever his bosses and the spies above him on the totem pole told to keep him to keep secret. The other was to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's the same oath I took when I became a judge. Uh, that oath is not only to the text of the Constitution, it's to the values underlying it. It's to the values of the Fourth Amendment. What do you do when you've taken two oaths and they conflict? It's impossible to obey both. You obey the higher oath, which is higher, an oath to your bosses and to fellow spies and politicians, or an oath to the ideals of the Constitution. The answer uh, is obvious. That will be his defense if he comes back, if he's tried, if he's not pardoned, and if a judge lets him make that defense. Aha, because isn't that the rub that they've already decided that in espionage cases, I felt it was the right thing to do is not allowed to even be presented as a defense at all, right? I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to say that you're right, which is why his statement, he'd come back if he can get a fair trial. He cannot. I know you want to talk about Assange in a few minutes, but neither of them can get a fair trial unless you have a, a judge like the one speaking to you now, and I'm not an active judge any longer, who believes that the Constitution means what it says, who believes that our rights are natural and come from our humanity, um, you're going to get a judge who will not allow that kind of defense. The only defense would be it wasn't me, it was somebody else. Well, that's not a defense in this case because he's admitted uh, that he uh, that sure. he did this. You should always be allowed to make a constitutional defense because the Constitution itself 
says it's the supreme law of the land. Therefore, it trumps lowercase t. Therefore, it trumps all statutory law. So when there's a conflict between a statute and the Constitution and you obey the Constitution and they charge you with violating the statute, of course, you should be able to explain that to a jury. He should even be able to hire an expert on the Constitution, somebody like me, who will explain to the jury how this works, how something can be legal and unconstitutional at the same time. Right. Legal is whatever Congress says it is. And Congress thinks it can write any law and regulate any re, any uh, behavior and tax any event it wants. Constitutional is only what James Madison intended for the Constitution to uh, authorize. Well, so let me ask you about a somewhat tricky one then, because I know and I agree with you what you already said. The FISA statute of 1978 is completely unconstitutional, the way it lowers the bar on probable cause. But one thing it does is it says... But if you violate the lowered bar, you go to jail. Government employees, that is, not the citizens. Government employees who violate the limit, even the lower limit, that that's a felony. And so then doesn't that mean that with the uh, Stellar Wind program that you kind of referred to earlier with the New York Times broke the story about uh, Bush and all the spying back then, but then with all the rest of this that Edward Snowden has revealed, doesn't that mean that all the politicians and bureaucrats who authorize this all belong in prison for, in many yes. cases, millions uh, of counts of violation anybody, of this I law? I don't, know of, I don't know of anybody in the uh, intelligence community. There are members of the intelligence community. You know, Snowden's not the only one that revealed this. After he did, others confirmed it, and some of them uh, were prosecuted. But I don't know anybody in the intelligence community who's been prosecuted for mass undifferentiated spying. Uh, all of this started with Bush. Bush took the uh, view, George W. Mm -hmm. uh, Bush took the view that because the NSA is in the military and because he's the commander in chief of the military, the Constitution didn't apply, that he could order and direct the military to do anything he wanted. This is, of course, absurd. There's no Supreme Court opinion that says this. To the con on the contrary, the Constitution uh, governs the entire government. But this was uh, Bush's uh, attitude. The attitude of the NSA leadership, I actually debated General Michael Hayden on this in front of 10,000 people. He chose the venue. He didn't realize that of those 10,000 people, about 9,000 of them were card-carrying Ron Paul supporters, <laughs> serious uh, libertarians. I mean, they were really rough with General Hayden, but we debated this. And the view of the intelligence community is that the Fourth Amendment only restrains the government for law enforcement purposes. It does not restrain it for non-law enforcement purposes. So the intelligence community believes you don't have a right to privacy. They can get on your back and in your bedroom and in your bank account and in your uh, doctor's office and in your lawyer's files all they want, as long as they don't use whatever they get against you for prosecutorial purposes. Mm -hmm. Well, just read the plain language of the Fourth Amendment. There is no such limitation uh, on, on the government there. The Fourth Amendment is, a, is about as expansive as can be. It doesn't say the government shall be restrained when it wants to prosecute. It says all persons shall be secure in their papers, houses, persons, and effect from unreasonable searches and seizures. And the court have defined all warrantless searches and seizures to be per se unreasonable. Mm -hmm. 
Now, of course, I made those arguments in front of this crowd. They were, they were cheering me on. In fairness to uh, General Hayden, who challenged me, and we eventually became friends, even though we agree on so little. Hmm. Um, he's not a lawyer. He didn't study the Constitution. He just knows what his, the one-liners his bosses told him to use, and he passed that on to his agents. You know, Here's an interesting question. How many NSA agents and employers, employees are there in the United States? How many people working directly or indirectly for the NSA are spying on the rest of us? 60,000. Thank you, George W. Bush. 60,000 Americans spying on the rest of us. So this 27 times storage capacity of the Library of Congress is so much data. It's data overload. They're not capturing what I'm saying in real time. They don't have the person power, the manpower. It's all in the algorithm, right? It's so right. It's so much, it's so much data overload, they can't access it. It doesn't keep us safe. It just destroys our freedom. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. By the way, I don't know if you know this anecdote. If you've uh, read this book, I'm sure it would have been a long time ago, but it's just a fantastic book. The Shadow Factory by James Bamford, his third book on the NSA. And it begins. Well, I love James Bamford. He's terrific. Yeah, he's the best of best. So he's the guy that wrote The Puzzle Palace and Body of Secrets. So this is the third one, The Shadow Factory. And it begins with Hayden, who was the director of the NSA on September 11th, telling yes. Bamford completely incorrectly, ridiculously. That if Osama bin Laden himself walked across the bridge from Canada into New York State, I wouldn't be able to surveil him anymore. And so, geez, you know, when you have all these uh, actual agents of a foreign power or foreign terrorist group, as specified in the statute, traipsing around the country, that's somebody else's fault, not mine, says General Hayden. Meanwhile, he's the same guy that is going to tap every last one of us who never did go hang around with bin Laden and Zawahiri in Afghanistan, unlike the people he refuses to surveil. I mean, what the hell's going on with that? Well, this is, um, you know, George W. Bush, who may be the worst president in the modern uh, era, who borrowed $2 trillion for useless, meaningless, horrific uh, wars and death in Afghanistan uh, and Iraq, Uh, who ratcheted up the uh, surveillance uh, community on the rest of us, who probably, though we don't know this, uh, issued pardons to his torturers uh, all around the world because none of them was ever prosecuted. They prosecuted one CIA agent because he was so repulsed by what he saw, he blew a whistle on it. He's the one, uh, John Kiriakaku, who went to jail. None of the other uh, torturers uh, were prosecuted. This is the Bush... um, oh, we were asleep at the switch and looking the wrong way on 9-11, so we will, we will take away the liberty of everybody else just to show the government that we're doing something. Yeah, This is the trade-off of liberty for security, except it, it results in neither. It doesn't give us security, and it takes away uh, our liberty. Yeah. This is what Edward Snowden uh, revealed. And he was so courageous. He revealed so much and it was so well documented uh, what he revealed. And the NSA people were actually scratching their heads about how he got all of this, uh, that it provoked other former 
American spies to do a 180 and realize that they were part of this and they came forward and they uh, revealed it uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Now, that's all the good news that this courageous, patriotic behavior occurred. The bad news is it's still going on. Right. It still happens. Congress looks the other way because the intelligence community has dirt on so many members of Congress. Even Trump, who personally was victimized by this, the GCHQ, the British version of the NSA, spied on Trump when he was a candidate. He understood that. He got it. They continued to spy on him while he was in the White House. Even he permitted this nonsense to go on. Yep. Hey, y'all, Scott here. Let me tell you about Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, Inc. Who knew? Artificial bank credit expansion leads to price inflation and terribly distorted markets. If you've got any savings left at all, you need to protect them. You need to put some, at least, into precious metals. Well, Roberts and Roberts can set you up with the best deals on silver, gold, platinum, and palladium. And they've been doing this since 1977. Hey, if you just need some sound advice about sound money, They're there for you, too. Call Tim Fry and the guys at 800-874-9760. That's 800-874-9760. Or check them out at rrbi.co. That's rrbi.co. You'll be glad you did. At the Libertarian Institute, we publish books. Real good ones. So far, we've got Will Griggs' No Quarter. Sheldon Richmond's Coming to Palestine and What Social Animals Owe to Each Other, and four of mine, Fool's Errand, Enough Already, The Great Ron Paul, and my brand new one, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And I'm happy to announce that we've just published our managing editor Keith Knight's first one, The Voluntarist Handbook, an excellent collection of essays by the world's greatest libertarian thinkers and writers, including me. Check them all out at libertarianinstitute.org slash books. And for a limited time, signed copies of Enough Already and Hotter Than the Sun are available at scotthorton.org slash books. And, of course, as you say, they got dirt on everybody. It's J. Edgar Hoover beyond his wildest imagination of what he could come up with. And I want to focus on what you said there about he revealed so much, right? Because it wasn't just the phone records. It's X key score this and prism that and all of these programs, including everywhere your cell phone has been for at least the last five years. So every living room you've been in, every restaurant booth you sat at, every car you've ridden in or any of this all can be reconstructed at any time. They want to push a button and and, you know, build a profile on your entire life. They've got everything on you, everything. Can I, can I tell you, and I know you know this, and I hope that uh, your uh, viewers and listeners do, when the feds do this type, engage in this type of behavior and get away with it, it doesn't stop there. State and local law enforcement do the same. Mm-hmm. So in New Jersey, where I am now, in my home where I live, Um, the local police departments uh, have purchased stingrays. Now, a stingray is an innocuous-looking piece of metal at the side of the road, but it latches onto your mobile phone as you drive by, and it'll stay latched on until you get out of its range and you're in the range of the next stingray. Why do they do it? Well, if the feds can do it, then the state can do it. Now, here in New Jersey, we have a... 
a, a civil liberties oriented Supreme state Supreme Court who will not allow any evidence obtained from stingrays to be used in any prosecutions. Good. It still hasn't stopped the police from following us. They still operate these damn things mm -hmm. because they know if the feds get away with it, they'll get away with it. And then they can just make up an excuse. Case, I would imagine this is the case, Scott, in most other states uh, as well. Yeah. In the case of the stingray, it was not done by a legislative act after proper debate. It was done by a police slush fund, a decision by police, not by their civilian bosses. The civilian bosses look the other way. They're probably afraid of the police, just like the members of Congress are look the other way because they're afraid of the intelligence community. Yeah, it's amazing. By the way, uh, and I really don't know very much about this guy, uh, Representative Matt Gates. I know he's been good on a couple things and bad on a couple things, and I know that I don't know hardly anything about him at all. That's the 1% about him that I do know. But I read a thing today that after all of these accusations that he had been trafficking an underage girl for sexual purposes and all this, the Washington Post is reporting that now they're dropping all that. They have no credible witnesses to that whatsoever. And that's all they ever had was claims of two people. And those two people completely lack credibility. So, oops. But the FBI got to say that for, what, two years about this congressman, about something he may or may not have done, but presumption of innocence here. Um and they have nothing to make a case out of, they admit now, and they can just do that to whoever they want. That's if they don't yes. burn you alive in your church, you know? Yes, they can do that to whoever you want. This uh, football player, the best punter in the business, a rookie, I forget what team he was uh, he was uh, drafted onto, played one game, and then some high school girl said he got aggressive one night when they were drunken at a party, gone. No charges filed, no proof, nothing. I mean, in, in America today, uh, you're guilty until proven uh, innocent. Uh, the government, or almost anybody, in this case it was the NFL, which is richer than most governments, um, uh, can destroy you just by, uh, just by doing this. It can happen to anybody. Yeah. All right, now, so uh, I don't want to keep you too long. It's Friday afternoon and everything. But I got to hear a word about Julian Assange because, and I don't know if you remember this, but you interviewed me when the Iraq, and I'm not sure, there was, first it was the Afghan war logs, then the Iraq war logs, and then the State Department cables. I think it was, oh, it was after the State Department cables came out. And uh, yeah. me and my wife had dug up, had dug up, uh, the first story we found in there was the head of Israeli intelligence threatening the Americans. You better bomb Iran or we're going to drag you into it, which was a pretty good one. Um, but anyway, we talked then about on your show, uh, Freedom Watch, about how the American people have a right to know this stuff. And they don't have a right to keep it secret. And they just have it all upside down. And they have villainized this guy, James Bond. And I, I guess I can see it if you're open to it that he looks weird he's like young and with his white hair and his kind of freaky euro trash sort of disposition where they, they could make a which he's australian but anyway they could make a james bond villain out of him that he's like this weird guy on this power trip they accuse him of some sexual crimes and things and they just turn this guy from the world's greatest journalist into a demon from the depths of hell 
And apparently that has really stuck. And people, they don't know about WikiLeaks, Judge. They don't know about the Iraq and Afghan war logs and State Department cables. They don't even really know about the Hillary Clinton emails and what's in them. All they know is Julian Assange is a very, very bad guy because the TV has said that over and over again. And to me, that's just a travesty. Like, if they're going to lock him up and he's going to die in prison, hell, that's as horrible as that is. He knew what he was doing, right? But for the American people to not even have any idea who he is or what he did or what the hell is going on here, that's not right. Well, he, uh, of course, uh, has been a journalist as the founder and head uh, of WikiLeaks, which specified in leaking confidential, uh, classified and secret uh, information about governments uh, when he received a treasure trove uh, of information showing uh, war crimes and American um, perpetrators of war crimes were rejoicing in it during the Bush administration uh, in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan uh, and uh, leaked it. It eventually developed that the uh, leaker to him was Bradley Manning. Now, Bradley Manning was prosecuted, uh, convicted, sentenced to 45 years in jail, underwent a a gender uh, transformation while he's in jail. And then his sentence was commuted uh, by President Obama. I wish President Obama had pardoned Assange as well, but he didn't. So this is almost exactly like the Pentagon Papers case where Daniel Ellsberg, the civilian employee of the Department of Defense, uh, removes documents from the Pentagon showing that uh, LBJ's generals were lying to him and LBJ was lying to uh, the country. Now, at this point, LBJ was dead. Nixon uh, was uh, president, uh, but Nixon was furious. They got a federal judge in New York City that Nixon had put on the bench, uh, Murray Gerfine, and Judge Gerfine enjoined uh, the New York Times to whom uh, and the Washington Post to whom Daniel Ellsberg had given uh, the pilfered uh, materials from publishing it. Supreme Court did what it never does. It's only done this a handful of times in history. Reached right down into the district court, bypassed the appellate court, and took the case. There were two cases, one in New York against the New York Times, brought by the DOJ, one in Washington against the Washington Post, brought by the DOJ. And the Supreme Court ruled six to three that a, a media entity can publish whatever it acquires, no matter how it received it, as long as it is a matter of material public interest. And generals lying to the president, the president lying to generals during a war, obviously is of material interest to the public. Then Daniel Ellsberg gets indicted. Then the FBI breaks into his psychiatrist's office looking for his psychiatric records. Then a very courageous federal judge named Timothy Sullivan dismisses the indictment because of unconscionable behavior on the part of the government. So in both cases, Assange and Ellsberg, the thief, Manning and Ellsberg, walks free. The New York Times and the Washington Post, of course, eventually published all this as soon as the, the, the Supreme Court said they could, they walk free. This is an absolute defense, the Pentagon Papers case, for Assange. And for a while, the DOJ accepted that argument and decided not to indict him until the Trump DOJ came along and indicted Assange 
and persuade. And then, then he fled to the basement of the Ecuadorian embassy. And then the Brits invaded the embassy. The Ecuadorians looked the other way. Uh, and he's been held in a horrific, horrific environment in the worst prison that Britain has. It's, it's their version of our Florence, Colorado, except he's not 250 feet below the surface of the earth. Uh, until they decide whether or not to extradite him. He has he won the first round. That is, the extradition was rejected. He lost his first appeal. He lost his second appeal. Uh, he has one more appeal left. And if Liz Truss uh, gets booted out of office and Sir Keith Starmer, the leader of the Labour uh, Party, uh, becomes prime minister, I think he's going to deny the extradition because Keith Starmer has a civil liberty streak in him which the Tories in Great Britain once had, but no longer do. Yeah, at least there's a little bit of a reason to hope that uh, that he could be saved by a British court there. But, you know, so I want to, on the New York Times parallel there, did the Nixon government, I know that you mentioned they were trying to stop, uh, they were trying to order the newspapers to cease publication, and the Supreme Court said no prior restraint. But did they ever say that we will put the Washington Post and New York Times reporters in jail for publishing it, or for for that matter, the publisher and the editor of the newspaper in jail for putting this stuff out? I, I, th I think there was an implicit threat there. So if you read the Pentagon Papers case, it's a great opinion, mm -hmm. a great opinion. And I'll tell you a funny anecdote about the opinion in a minute. Uh, it immunizes the publisher from civil and criminal liability. It's very, very clear. So Julian Assange can't be sued and can't be prosecuted. The New York Times couldn't be sued by any general that was embarrassed by what was revealed, mm -hmm. for example. Um, during the oral argument on the Pentagon Papers case, Justice William O. Douglas, who's the great liberal, but also the great defender of civil liberties on the uh, Warren Court, says to the um, solicitor general who's arguing for the Nixon administration, would you read the First Amendment for me? So the guy reads it. He says, no, read it aloud. Read it aloud, Your Honor? Read it aloud. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. Thank you. Mr. Solicitor General, doesn't no law mean no law? You think maybe. He couldn't answer it. He couldn't answer it. And for one of the first times in American history, one of the few times in American history, again, if you read the Pentagon Papers case, you'll see the transcript of this Q&A between Justice Douglas and the Solicitor General printed in the opinion. They don't print that normally, oh, but they did in this case because it was so profound. Unfortunately, the court didn't answer it uh, either. Mm -hmm. People like you and I who are absolutists when it comes right. to free speech means believe that no law literally means no law. However, though, the uh, Espionage I, Act of 1917 does go this far, right? It does. It is essentially, yes. essentially as broad as the Official Secrets Act in England. It's just the government yes. never yes. prosecutes that half of it. They always prosecute yes. the leaker, but not the leak E. But this time they are, and I believe the law says they can. It's just the Constitution says they can't. Is that correct? You're exactly right. Okay. The Espionage Act, and I'm going to have to go shortly, the Espionage Act of 1917 was the love child of Woodrow Wilson, who, of course, wanted to stifle all dissent during Of him World and War the I. devil, or who? Usually they sent uh, a pair there. 
Okay, so Wilson, before he was president, was the governor of New Jersey. Before he was the governor of New Jersey, was the president of Princeton University, of, of which I'm an alumnus. Wilson arrested Princeton students for reading the Declaration of Independence aloud <laughs> in public streets outside of draft registration offices. Awesome. And locked them up, his own former students. For the duration of World War One, and claimed he had, but didn't didn't charge them, and and claimed he had the authority to do that under the Espionage Act of 1917. As Senator uh, Rand Paul uh, has introduced legislation to repeal the Espionage Act of 1917, it will never see the light of day because the uh, Intelligence Committee has too much dirt not on Rand Paul, but on the vast majority of other. Members of Congress. Yep. Uh, Blackmailing your representatives since 1952. Uh, yes. Probably doing a better job than J. Edgar Hoover was at the time, too, with you know their ability to reach out and touch somebody through the telephone wires far, far beyond what the FBI ever was able to do. You know, they actually used to have to put the work in and put a tap on your phone and silly stuff like that. Right. NSA built right. the entire telecommunications network from the bottom up. <laughs> They just have to tune in. Yes. Uh, yes. Well, um, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of culprits in this. If I had to point my finger at the culprit who uh, is most responsible and did the most damage, the single human being, it would be George W. Bush. Yeah. Um, who, who visited upon us this uh, mass undifferentiated surveillance? Look, the the CIA and the FBI and the NSA always broke the law. But prior to 9-11, it was not this, this massive. It wasn't on everybody. It was on people they hated, people they feared, people they wanted to drive crazy, mm -hmm. just as wrong. But you're talking about thousands versus hundreds of millions, which is where Bush brought it to, which is where it is today. Yeah. Even Trump, even Trump did not dial this back. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think there's any way to overstate it. Just the fact, it's the supreme irony of the universe. The first month of the first year of the new millennium, this jackass takes the emperor's chair and has yes. this total power to make these calls, surrounded by courtiers the likes of Dick Cheney and Paul Wolfowitz and Donald Rumsfeld right. to just right. tell him, sign this, sign this, sign this. Right. And Hey, hey, uh, General Powell, go, go and lie to the United Nations and be really credible about it. It's going to be a historic right. uh, speech. I don't know if he ever acknowledged that it was a lie. Oh, he and said it was, it was a credible. stain on his record, but he didn't say he was sorry or that he didn't admit that he knew he was lying when we know he knew yeah. he was lying. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, and look, it's funny, look, Judge. The, the, most, the best you and I and, and the good people watching and listening to us now can know about this and, and the American public know about it. Right. But boy, it would take a Congress full of Thomas Massey's and, and Rand Paul's to, or, or, or a Ron Paul-like person in the White House to stop this. I mean, the NSA can be stopped at the stroke of a pen because they work for the president. Uh, it's hard to believe that any president, even one, I keep saying Trump, victimized by this behavior and this culture right. didn't put a stop to it. I don't know who will. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I remember one of my first articles I wrote for antiwar.com was about this. And I had a line in there. 
even the judge from Fox News is concerned. And I had a link to some thing that you had done. And that might have been my first real introduction to you. That like, wow, there's a guy in Fox News who's saying, whoa, 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 this is everybody pull the brake on this Patriot Act. This is against the Constitution. It's been it's been a long and happy friendship and collaboration, Scott, and it will only continue. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm so grateful for you uh, coming on the show today, Judge. It's been great. Really you know, it's so funny that you called my producer because just this week I said, you know, let's get Horton on judging freedom. So we'll uh, we'll do the reverse of this in a week or so. Great. I look forward to that. Be good to talk to you again. Thank you, my friend. All, all, right. all the best to you. Thank you. You too. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. APSradio.com. Antiwar.com. ScottHorton.org and libertarianinstitute.org.